When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in. Another episode of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. If you're listening, it's because you've downloaded. Hopefully, you've subscribed as well inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hopefully, this isn't your first episode, but if it is, welcome aboard. Leave a rating, leave a review, and buckle in because it feels like it's only going to get bumpier from here. Uh, I am Chris Mack from the Fan Morning Show and Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan, joined a couple times a week by former Penguin Eric Tangrady, who is with me now. And Tango, before we dig into, and as we're recording this, by the way, it just happened a couple minutes ago, Kasperi Kapanen placed on waivers. Um, I would imagine that's probably just a move to set up a move at this point, but who knows with this management team. Before, though, we get into all of that, because all of that may change between the time we speak recording this podcast right now on Friday afternoon and the time people listen to it at some point over the weekend. Uh, let's start with a bigger picture issue, and it is the idea of what the big picture is for this organization. And the Fenway Sports Group, since taking over about 15 months ago, has been very, very quiet about what their vision is for the aging Pittsburgh Penguins. They've asked Mario Lemieux to sort of serve a figurehead role uh, as his ownership stake was reduced. Mario has politely said, "Mm, I think I'm more than a figurehead around these parts. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, And John Henry, the principal of Fenway Sports Group, uh, the Boston Red Sox, Fenway Park, Liverpool United. um, uh, Let's see, Roush Keselowski Racing now as well. Um, has been conspicuously quiet. He hasn't necessarily been absent. I've been uh, shown photos by a couple of people on social media of John Henry in the locker room commemorating some of the big milestones for Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby that have taken place in the last year. So he's been around, but we haven't heard him say nary a word about what the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins is, Eric. And as a former member of the organization and now, Um, a resident of Western PA who I would think holds some pretty close ties to the organization. I'm just curious, are we starting to get to a point where ownership, specifically Fenway Sports Group, specifically John Henry, are going to have to start taking a more day-to-day role in this thing, or at least more than just an investor-type advisory role in this thing, as, like I said, the rocky road appears to have hit, the rough patch is here. Yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to see kind of who is that right hand man, because when you have some, you know, a portfolio as diverse as they have being in basically all the major sports, um, it makes you wonder, like, what is he just uh, a fan of owning teams? Is he a hockey fan? Um, you know, 
a lot of times, yes, owners sit back and they let somebody guide them and direct them. Um, for me, it just felt like we were in such a good place with how our ownership was prior. Me, you know, being there, a former legend, NHL legend, someone who actually cared, was vested in the organization, who could make those hard decisions. Uh, it, it just makes me question, like, what truly is the future? Because um, you know, when you look across the across the river at a, a team that's just looking at a team to. Uh, well, just well, the Pirates looking at as a, a team to just make money. Is right. that what the Penguins is now? Is the Penguins just, uh, you know, we're looking at ROI or are we looking at the, the, the true love of the organization, the, the history, the tradition, and, and getting back to a certain standard that that program used to be? Yeah, and if there's one point in time where you don't want to feel rudderless, it's in a transition point, right? An inflection point like this organization is at right now where – uh, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, all committed to by the organization, but also all getting older. And as much as they've been the reasons or some of the main reasons for this team's success, as limited as that success has been this year, they are still the big three and the reason this team has found any success uh, the past couple of years, even if it feels like it hasn't been enough. So that being said, if those guys are still at the core of this thing going forward and you've got to rebuild around them, which it sounds like the organization wants to do. I guess the next question is, are Brian Burke and Ron Hextall the right guys to be leading that rebuild? Um, and as much as, as vocal as he was when they first got the jobs, uh, Brian Burke has, has quieted down a lot over the last year or so. Ron Hextall has always been quiet. Uh, and doesn't necessarily embrace with the media the way his predecessor did. Jim Rutherford loved talking to people and telling them exactly what he was thinking to a fault a lot of times. Um, the, the lack of direction is worrisome, especially when you can't get a bead on what the guys who are the decision makers think ought to be happening. And we have no idea right now what Burke and Hextall are thinking other than to go on Hextall's public comments of a couple weeks ago, which were, I like my team on paper. Well, apparently that has started to change as they've put Kasperi Kapanen on waivers here on Friday afternoon. Right. Uh, I'm with you. Like everything you just said was kind of just like revolving and like going in like a full circle. And that's how I think we all feel as fans and as media members right now. Like what what's going on? What is their direction? Just some sort of clarity. If they just came out tomorrow and said, we're going to rebuild. I think people would just take a deep breath and say, we hate it, but at least we know where we're headed and what the right. direction is. Uh, and, I, you know, I look at it back at some of the success that Hextall had as a GM and you look at L.A., their cup runs. Like All I can think about is like young prospects who just came up and made a huge impact built around superstars. Um, that's something that they don't have right now in the organization. So are is management quiet right now because they actually are in the same situation that we are, where there's just no actual direction and, and vision and and guidance on what they actually want to be are we just protecting our jobs there's just so many factors right now that go into this team and, and last night just was really really um it was hard to watch but it's almost like okay maybe there's our answer like maybe yeah. this team is not where it needs to be uh i believe there are a lot of people that are on hot seats this morning after that effort at home against a team um, like Edmonton uh, called statement game throughout the season. 
I'm like, I'm lost for words. And, and, you know, as you just mentioned, like, what's the vision of direction? It was just like, I, I picture like that, that scene in The Hangover where Alan's doing the, the algorithms in his head because he can count <laughs> cards. Like, it's like, it shouldn't be that complicated. You know, it's, no. it's pretty black. It's pretty black and white at this point. Like, we either feel like we have the foundation to win and we're going to go all in and continue to do that and build it on the core. Or we're just going to have to maintain the status quo of, of trying to find ways to, to build the future while having these guys. There's no in between. Yeah, and that's the the tough part. Is you're right. The 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 loss to Edmonton felt like I, I turned to my wife at one point during the game and said, "This feels like the beginning of the end." Like, um, and she said, "The beginning of the end of what?" The, what? So okay, so they don't make the playoffs. I was like, "No, like the beginning of the end of an era." Like th- this is this feels a whole lot more weighty than just an ugly seven to two loss at home to Connor McDavid and the Oilers. Like you lose seven to two to Connor McDavid and the Oilers. Okay. You can kind of chalk it up and say he's the best player in the world, all that. Um, and you had a bad night, but no, this was more weighty. You're right. It was one of those ones that left you wondering, as we keep saying, what's the direction? Where do we go from here? Not just now, not just in the next week before the trade deadline, but where do we go next year? Where do we go for the next three to five years? And beyond as, and, and if you break it down and sort of tear it out, the first tier of that decision is what do we do in the next week with the trade deadline approaching? We've now got stories circulating that maybe Mike Sullivan wants to be in on a big name at the trade deadline, like a Jacob Chikrin, but Ron Hextall doesn't want to move the picks necessary to get a guy who is a young impact defenseman, top pairing defenseman who you'd have under control for a while. Um, so that's the immediacy of it. You see, like I said earlier, Kasperi Kapanen being waived. Uh, you have Ron Hextall saying a, a few weeks ago, I don't want to trade a first round pick. All of this is swirling about for a team that it feels like should have no business being a buyer right now. I get the games in hand and the standings and all that. They haven't done jack with those games in hand. They've fumbled those away or started to fumble them away. It feels like a team that should be retooling for next year. And I, I guess essentially punting on this season, for lack of a better way to put it, and trying to find a way to put a better set of players around the core three that are already in place. Absolutely. I mean, we saw what Washington just did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, we feel like we're at a higher standard as an organization than Washington, but them just putting their chips on the table, being in a playoff race, they've, they've identified to their fan base. Like if we can't win a cup, we don't really no, We don't really care. And I think that, 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 you know, as a rival, but at the same time as a hockey fan, like I was pretty, pretty aspiring, like, okay, you know what? You actually have a chance to make the playoffs. You have Ovechkin, you still sell tickets. You still have a fan base, but you're willing to understand the dynamic of what the next three to five years looks like of your organization. And we're going to move, Orloff, Hathaway, uh, and we're going to get assets in return. Now, to me, that is identifying to a fan base a clear picture of where you're headed. So there's kind of the writing on the wall. Like, I feel like capping it on waivers, yes. Does that add value for a team that maybe want to take a flyer on him and risk starting him in the minors and pretty much being a no-risk trade? Sure, but I feel like that's putting a Band-Aid on the bigger issue at hand and and is whether it's – um, where is the leadership coming from? And I'm not mentioned, like I'm not talking about the locker room. I think that's already been identified, but it's just where is the leadership coming from top to bottom on what the direction is? Well, and, and I have a serious question too about, you know, look, w- when we talk about the moves Ron Hextall and Brian Burke have made since they came in, 
when you start to identify problems or mistakes, you go back to moves they made right after they came in when Jared McCann and Brandon Tanev were laid out on a platter for Seattle. Um, and those were the kind of moves like you imagine, I imagine a third, like, I, I don't know if you were like me, but I was watching, uh, who was it? Seattle, Vancouver the other night. And I'm looking at, at one point all on the ice at the same time were Jared McCann. Uh, I believe the shift after that may have been Tanov because they're not playing on the same line, but Daniel Sprong was out there at one point, <laughs> Nick Benino's out there. And you're sitting there watching just a raft of guys, not to even mention Justin Schultz and Jamie Alexiak, who were Penguins for a while as well. You're watching this raft of guys that could have been third line forwards for this team right now as it's currently constructed, and their biggest Achilles heel is the third line. And so all of Ron Hextall's mistakes are put on display right there in one game, essentially. And I'm just gritting my teeth looking at my TV. And again, my poor wife who's sitting there watching hockey next to me is like, why are you mad at a Seattle at a Seattle game. What, what, what is wrong with you? And I was like, look at this, look at all these guys, but I don't know if I want Ron Hextall to be the guy to execute the next three to five years, I guess is my point because the last few years have not been executed correctly. Yeah. There's been some, some bright spots here and there. Uh, but I, I don't know if I trust him to be the guy that as we start to look beyond the next week and beyond the next off season to be the guy to put them in a better place in three to five years as we approach the end, the legitimate end of the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era. And and I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I'm not totally comfortable with Ron Hextall being that guy right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a what have you done for me lately business. Sure. Success in the past. That's great. That's all. That's all good. But you know, we watched. Dan Balsma get fired from this city. We got Mike Sullivan, who may go down as the best coach that's ever coached the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, at, at some point, he his time may come to an end. Like, we are in a results-oriented business where you're judged off of the things you have done lately. And, and I, again, the McCann thing it was perplexing more than ever. Like, an ideal yeah. third line is guys that can provide and and – are versatile. They can play that role. They can they can own those minutes. Play play deep into the playoffs. And then if somebody gets hurt in the top six, you have somebody to fill in. Like that to me was an easy decision to make. But obviously, it's quite easy for me to say that now. But no, I, I just think some of the decision making uh, and, and some of the terms of these deals will have to, he'll have to be judged by those things unless he comes out and gives us some sort of feedback and direction that will make us think otherwise. Now you mentioned uh, you can't really put the lack of leadership on the guys in the room. I agree. The 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 guys with the letters on the front of their jerseys, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, I think have held up their end of the bargain this year. You got a couple of point per game guys in Crosby and Malkin, despite their age, who still are the reason this team wins. A large part of the reason this team wins when they do win. You've got Chris Latang who's still having a really good year. Look, nobody played well against Edmonton on Thursday night. Let's not like pretend let's not pretend like anybody did, but those guys have been few of the, the the few of the bright spots for this team this year. The one thing that's left in between the locker room and the stars and the upper management uh portion of this question is the guy in the middle, Mike Sullivan. The Penguins are committed to him though. They just re-upped his contract in the past year. He's actually got more term on his contract right now than the GM, which is interesting if if stories about disagreements about whether to go after certain players are true or not, you wonder who actually holds the leverage in those conversations. Um, but again, we don't know who's calling the shots above Burke. So who knows? Um, point being, I have a hard time cutting my nose off to spite my face 
and saying Mike Sullivan is more a part of the problem than a part of the solution. He tried to very carefully toe the line after the Oilers game at one point saying, well, our roster is our roster. Essentially, kind of, that's the most passive-aggressive thing I've ever heard the guy say, really, and it wasn't even that very, it wasn't that passive-aggressive. But essentially saying, the hell you want me to do with this bunch, especially in the bottom six. But then later uh, saying, well, you know, I believe the solutions are in that room, talking about the guys on his roster currently. I guess just on the whole, Eric, when you look at Mike Sullivan, the NHL all too often treats head coaches as disposable items. But this seems to be a guy who still resonates. Do you get the feeling that he is still resonating with the guys in the room and not just the guys that, again, are the leadership of the room, but is he resonating with the the Bluegers and the O'Connors and, you know, uh, the, the Carters of the world? Or is this starting to fall on some deaf ears in the room? And do they have to consider, even though Mike Sullivan is a very good coach, do they have to consider a different direction? I would say no to a different direction. I, I think the problem may be, and, and again, this is speculation, but I mean, I watched the interview last week where it was kind of, I'm defending my third line, but I'm also telling you like, you know, some days they've been good and some days they haven't been good. And we're trying mm-hmm. to find consistency. Like he's always been the type of coach that like backs his locker room and backs his team. And this is probably the first time I've seen since he's been in Pittsburgh where you're getting those little inklings of frustration and his frustration is, totally different than a Tortorella frustration. Like he's not a shoot off the hip. You can tell he's very methodical with the way he answers questions. Um, I don't think he's the problem. I think he has too much. He's had too much success. I think he does have a good relationship with leadership. Uh, I think their, their vision uh, and goals are alike and the same. He's in win now mode every single year. I don't know if he is the right coach for the type for a rebuild. Um, But at the same time, if he were to get, if he were to leave the Penguins tomorrow, like somebody would fire their coach in the NHL and make him the head coach the next day. Like, I think he's that well-respected and that good of an ice hockey coach. Um, so to answer, answer that question, like, I, I think there may be a little bit of coming back into the room of like, wow, this is the first time coach is actually showing like, maybe we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Because if you watch that interview, like the same thing, the roster's the roster, like, that's not the same, like, oh, we're a good enough team to win the cup. We're just not playing well enough. Like, we don't, we haven't really heard a whole lot of that, like we have in years past. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's something when Mike Sullivan actually shows what for him, I guess, is a little bit of emotion. He does such a good job of being so even keel, and he's done such a great job of translating it to his players over the years that even when you get what is, I guess, amounts to a, a pissed off Sidney Crosby as you did Thursday night. It's not really, the guy doesn't really come off as what would typically be pissed off. It's just Sid basically being a little short and abrupt and not necessarily answering questions. They're so good at playing even keel. You almost wonder if it's a detriment sometimes that when they actually do need to be pissed off, they don't bring it. Like you're not getting a Michelle Terrian. They say they care rant out of Mike Sullivan. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then, and again, that may be something like, in the room may be totally different. And I think that's where, um, you know, I know, as I just mentioned, we're in the results oriented business, but like you trying to make best of what you have. And if your bottom six, isn't going to contribute and provide, like that's not an X's and O's thing. I don't watch this game and see breakdowns of X's and O's. I see individual mental breakdowns throughout shifts. Um, you know, a lack of confidence, drive, determination, like, 
when we're teaching high school kids or college kids, like, yeah, you do things to instill confidence, but we're in the national hockey league. Like we're big boys making big bucks. Like that's not a coach's job to be in there. and be like, come on, you got this. You're going to score tonight. Like, no, this, this is, this is, this is the big league. So right. again, I think, I think when I watch them and I, I can clearly identify the way that they're trying to play. And then I just see some players execute it and some not. So that to me, that doesn't go back on the coach. Before I let you run and go enjoy the weekend. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Now I'll answer the question first and, and give kind of filibuster just a second to give you time to formulate an answer. But the question is quite simply, are the Pittsburgh Penguins going to make the playoffs this year? Um, my answer to that question is, I, I think they're done. I think they're cooked this year. And, and, and it's, again, through no fault, I don't think, of Crosby, Malkin, or Latang, or even Mike Sullivan. I, I think this has all been built up by upper management keeping guys around who were either past their prime like Jeff Carter or guys who maybe never found their prime like Kasperi Kapanen or a guy who I don't know if he'll ever be quite what they expected he could be, what some of us thought he could be in Tristan Jari, who didn't exactly bathe himself in glory Thursday night against the Oilers as well. I get it was Connor McDavid, all that. But the point is, I don't think this team's bound for the postseason this year. And I think if anything, it should serve as the kind of wake-up call at the in the final quarter or third of Malkin's and Crosby's careers that does set the organization back in the right direction to give them one more legitimate shot at the cup before they retire. My fear is actually that they do somehow back into the playoffs and that they do, you know, maybe put up a little bit of a fight in the first round and push Boston or Carolina to six or seven games. And everybody looks around, or at least people in upper management look around and say, Ah, uh, see, it was just we just went through some doldrums between January first and March first, and everything's going to be all right. And they don't make any major moves in the off season to fortify around the core. I don't want to say I want to see my favorite hockey team miss the playoffs for the first time in seventeen years, but it might be what's best for this team right now. Do you do you think they make it? I agree with everything that you've said, but I just have watched Sidney Crosby just do incredible things for so many years yeah. that I'm just going to go and say they're going to make the playoffs based on this guy just showing up and having another gear. Like he's already playing unbelievable hockey, but once we get into crunch time, you know, 25 games to play and he starts playing 25 plus minutes a night, I think that he will literally that top that top line Malkin, uh, you know, the top 6 will somehow, some way carry this team into the playoffs. And unfortunately, it's inevitable. I don't see them. Again, I think the peak of what's going to happen is in, an inspiring sticks, maybe possibly a game seven in round one. But yeah. that I don't, I don't see much more than that. But I just I have just seen 87 with his back against the wall, just drive his motivation just internally. He just does not accept no as an answer. So I just, I expect to see some of the best hockey that we've seen out of, out of him in the next coming weeks. And I don't think it's what's best for the organization, but I, again, like I, I just seen this guy do incredible things and I, I, I actually excited to see it again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, if, if he can drag this team kicking and screaming at his age, uh, at the age of 35 to the playoffs, basically throwing things on his back for six weeks. It will be possibly one of the finer chapters of Sidney Crosby's career, even if it doesn't necessarily end up leading to anything, any hockey in the month of May or beyond. 
Tango, I'm going to let you run it. And like I said, enjoy the weekend. Hopefully, uh, there's some better stuff to talk about. Although the next handful of games aren't any easier. Yeah, they got St. Louis on Saturday, but a couple of games against Tampa. Uh, the deadline now just a week away from the point when we're talking right now, almost exactly a week away. So we'll see if they can get things together. We'll see if Ron Hextall actually does anything more than a couple of waiver wire maneuvers. But uh, we'll definitely have plenty to talk about when we get back together on Monday. Yeah, we will have tons to talk about. And as the week progresses, we'll definitely kind of hopefully get some answers to this narrative of what's what's the direction of the Penguins is. And right. um, I'm excited, too, to see what other teams in the East, what type of moves they make. To, to Like we saw Washington basically say we're out. We've got mm-hmm. the Islanders who are pretty much Islanders are showing that they're all in for not just now, but the future. Um, so be exciting to just talk about uh, the hockey world in general, too, and seeing what direction certain teams are he- going. It certainly feels like by the time people listen to this, maybe, if not by the time we get back together on Monday, it'll be Patrick Kane to New York and a few other big maneuvers as well. So, Eric, thanks for the time, man. I'll catch up with you again on Monday. Awesome, Chris. Thanks. Great stuff with Eric Tangrady, as always. He joins us a couple times a week here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. As I mentioned, you know, we're recording this on Friday afternoon, so who knows what else is going to happen between the time we record it and you listen to it. Of course, there's the Blues game. There's the Lightning game. Then there's one against Nashville. Then another one against Tampa. So we'll talk about what to expect over the course of the next week. And again, the general sense of where this organization may or may not be headed when we catch up with Hunter Hodes, host of Locked On Penguins. A little Penguin podcast crossover coming at you here. Hunter joins me next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into 5th Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack at 93.7 The Fan and The Fan Morning Show with you several times a week as the Penguins continue their push for what we all just presumed was going to be a 17th consecutive appearance in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but that now... Well, doesn't look so certain, if even likely. Thanks to Eric Tangrady for joining. Uh, If you somehow skip to the middle of the podcast, you can go back to the beginning and listen to that. Be sure to subscribe, by the way. Why don't you? Inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. And uh, wherever you get your podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and review as well. We appreciate it. A little uh, Penguins podcast crossover here as the host of Locked on Penguins, Hunter Hodes, joins me now. Hunter, it's uh, it feels like we're starting to enter a brave new world here. It's Friday afternoon around 2 Eastern as we speak, as we're recording this, which means by the time people listen to it, who knows what the hell may have happened. We know Kasperi Kapanen's been placed on waivers. Uh, we don't know what else may be coming after that. It may simply be a paper maneuver to get Jan Ruda back on the roster. It may be so much more. There's no way of knowing right now at this point, but... I guess I'll ask you because you come from a younger generation who isn't familiar with watching the Penguins struggle. Um, Are you feeling better or worse right now about the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins than say you were, I don't know, three or four years ago when we could see that there were going to be troubles on the horizon, just based on the age of this, of this uh, core, the stars. Um, Do you feel better or worse about things right now than you did say, I don't know, a year after the last cup run? I feel like that's a good question. You know, Chris, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I'd probably say worse right now because it didn't need to be this way. 
coming into the season. The management groups did such a great job bringing back those core players. Gino and Latang, they make $6 million right now. Crosby's making 8.7. You bring back Ricardo Kelly, you bring back Brian Rust. All very, pretty solid contracts. But after every, after all that, they kind of just bungled the roster. And it feels like the window is closing a lot sooner than it probably should. The core is still kicking. Sidney Crosby is on pace for, I believe, 100 points this season. Evgeny Malkin is over a point per game. Chris Letang is, is playing much better since coming back from the stroke in late November. Ricard Raquel's been awesome. Jason Zucker's been great. But every, outside of that, everything else that could go wrong has gone wrong. And you know, a lot of the Penguins' struggles with the, some of the players on this roster, they're all signed for next season. That's that's the scary thing about that. You And to get out of those contracts, teams aren't just going to be like, Oh yeah, let's we'll just take your cap hit. No, they're going to ask for draft picks. You you all saw what happened with Nikita Zaitsev earlier earlier this week. The Senators to get out of that really bad deal, they had to send two picks to the Chicago Blackhawks. Those are the kind of situations that Ron Hextall is probably going to have to do if he is still the GM this summer, which I don't think is going to be the case. I think he's probably going to be fired after the season is up. But right now, I'm feeling a bit worse because their front office really doesn't have any direction. I don't really trust them at all when it comes to roster evaluation and just roster management, it looks like I just got an email right before we went live that Hextall is actually going to speak to the media at two 45 today for a pre deadline press conference. So we'll have to see what he says there, but yeah, in terms of just the future, it's probably the lowest I've been. And I started following this team for those that don't know just before Sid got here, I think it was like six or seven, you know, kind of like the, mm-hmm. the Rico father days when he was their best player. Um, but yeah, man, just, Last night, I, I'm usually a very optimistic person. I kept saying, yeah, they're probably going to buy a little bit before the deadline and stuff. Nah, I'm not there right now. I think I'm at the point where they should just punt this like the Capitals are doing. Yeah, I, it felt like, look, you know, I've been going back and forth with people and talking about this and, and Hextall's job and whether he's around or not. It felt like if they could do a little bit more than getting that third line center that might help push them not just into a first round, but maybe make a first round more competitive, right? If they could do a little bit more and pull off an upset in the first round, who knows? It didn't seem likely, certainly, but at least make the the maneuvers that gave you hope that the organization looked at that as a even minute possibility. Now, to your point, it, it feels like it makes more sense that this thing should be punted on and that it should be more about building up for the 23-24 season uh, rather than uh, trying to build up for the stretch run this year. That being said, I think the greater concern is what about beyond 23-24? And to your point, who's calling the shots? Is it Ron Hextall? Is it Brian Burke? Who's deciding whether those two are still in their roles going forward? Is it uh, a random balance sheet? Is, is it an algorithm on a balance sheet in Boston, in a back office somewhere? somewhere? Is Ben Affleck going to bust into Fenway Park and steal <laughs> that algorithm? Is this just a bad episode, or excuse me, a bad sequel to the town that I'm now talking about? It's all possible because we have no idea who in Boston is calling the shots around this team. Is it John Henry? Is he too busy trying to run Liverpool aground? Is he too busy... Uh, thinking about upgrades to Fenway Park. Yeah, he's there to take photos with Crosby and Malkin when they reach some milestones over the last couple of years. But who's going to call? I asked this question the other day, both on the air, on our show, and on the podcast, but I think it's a valuable question. 
who's calling Ron Hextall on the carpet the day after this season is over and saying, you're done. We're going to find someone who can do better. Uh, we can't believe you've turned this thing into what you've turned it into. Is it Brian Burke? Okay, well, who's going to hold Brian Burke accountable then? Because he's a part of this as well. There is a huge question out there, Hunter, about who's really pulling the levers of power for this organization right now. Yeah, I mean, it's you said it best, Chris. It really is a great question because I've never seen an ownership group honestly less involved when it comes to a team because I don't know where John Henry is. I don't know where Tom Werner is. I've read from a couple um, few websites that they have like a liaison here that watches the games. Do they, does that person report back to Warner and John Henry or something? I don't know. If it were up to me, I'd clean out the front office right now. I don't think Brian, I don't even know what Brian Burke does, to be honest, Chris. Just kind of is like a middleman to the ownership. I, I don't know. I don't even, you know, he's been upset at the games, but I think he just lets Ron Hextall do his job. I don't think he's ever pressuring him to make a move or anything. But, you know, again, if I am the ownership, I am getting my own guys in there. I, I've read about this ownership group. They want the best of the best running their teams. They're heavily invested in analytics. I remember, I think this was out there from the athletic this last year. They asked Ron Hextall to write out his plan for the mm -hmm. next few years. And he's like, well, it's in my head. I, I can't articulate that. It's like, <laughs> that's the guy you want running your one of your teams. It, it's um, just um, very, very odd to me. Um, I don't know where they are. I, I, I didn't, I don't think Ron Burkle and especially Mario Lemieux, who is obviously so beloved in this city, um, envisioned this was how it was going to go when A, they hired Hextall and Burke, and B, when they sold this team, took the money, and they're doing whatever they're doing right now. I don't know what Mario is doing. He's yeah. just living, living the dream or something like that. But it would be nice if we got to hear what the new ownership group has in mind for this team. No one's ever released a statement. John Henry and Tom Werner are rarely ever there. Um, again, they have like a liaison that watches the games, but it's it's not good enough. I, I don't think if that ownership group was not running the team right now and it was Mario and Ron, I don't think this front office would be there right now. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's fair to point out that Mario and Ron Burkle did hire Burke and Hextall, yeah. but at the same time, they also, and look, this is part of the praise I, I, I gave for Jim Rutherford earlier in the week. They knew when to admit their mistakes. And that was one thing. They, yeah. would, they would make bold moves, uh, whether it was Mario and Burkle asking Jim Rutherford to make moves or Rutherford on behalf of them making bold moves. That team made bold moves, but then owned those moves. And that's something that we haven't seen this group do, whether it's Fenway whether it's Burke, whether it's Hextall, it's just a lot of, like you talked about, oh, well, we've got a plan. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I mean, imagine any other job in the world where you could say to your boss, don't worry about the plan. I got it worked. It's all up here in my noodle. Don't worry about it, boss. Um, you just, you can't get away with that. And so, you know, it's, that may be the biggest shame of this whole thing is that not only has Fenway come in and, and not necessarily given this thing the oversight that was necessary to ensure Burke and Hextall got the job done correctly and pivoted away from their mistakes more quickly, but it's also led to an estrangement between Mario Lemieux and the organization. You know, they asked Mario Lemieux to just kind of stand by and be a figurehead and, and uh, you know, shake babies and kiss hands, so to speak. And instead, Mario says, well, I, no, I'm more important to this 
I'm paraphrasing, but Mario says, I'm more important to this than that. I'm not just going to be a figurehead. Uh, and if to your point, I think it's a great one. If Mario Lemieux were still around, this I don't think would be happening right now. I think we'd be at a point where mistakes would have been, at the very least, been owned by Burke and Hextall. If not, the mistake of Burke and Hextall would have been moved on from altogether by Mario Lemieux and Penguins management. All right, all that said, we have what we have. As Mike Sullivan might say, our roster is our roster. So um, what what can they do to affect some level of change if we're punting on this season? And I tend to agree with you that that's got to be the plan. What's the plan for you going into the offseason? Because as much as I like, say, Jason Zucker and what he's provided this team, you know, a Jason Zucker who's a free agent at the end of the season might be able to go out and get paid. You might be able to move a Jason Zucker before the deadline, actually, and get something in return. Again, I hate the idea of moving on from Zucker. I'm just using him as an example here. But you're going to have to make painful moves, I guess is my point, this offseason to try and get yourself back on track if you're remaining committed to 87, 71, and 58. So if you got to pick an uncomfortable move to make uh, this summer, what would it be for you, Hunter? Yeah, Chris, I mean... I'm not sure how much they're going to sell at the deadline. You know, we're going to find that out probably about 30 minutes anyway. Zucker would be someone that they could sell at the deadline. He's having a good year. Mm-hmm. You could maybe get a prospect and a second for him. I don't know if you could get a first, but maybe a second and a prospect, something like that. Brian Dumoulin, Teddy Bluger. Other than that, though, they don't really have too many other options to sell right now. Tristan Jari. His injury history. I don't really know what contender would want him to be honest, because I think they're all set at goalie uh, at goalie. But in terms of this summer, Chris, you know, I'm really looking at a good comparison, and it's Washington. I, I think of the Joker meme. You know, you and I are destined to do this together, and that's basically what they came up together, and now they're going down together. And Washington, they committed to selling a little bit yesterday. They're probably going to continue to do that going to the deadline this Friday and into the summer. And what they're going to do is take that cap flexibility and build a more competitive team around Alex Ovechkin to try to get him one more cup and obviously have him bring the goal record. I think that's what the Penguins are going to do here. In terms of changes, again, if you if Zucker is off your payroll, that's $5.5 million. Tristan Jari, they're going to have to make a huge decision there. I'm very skeptical about paying him just because of his injury history, and he hasn't really been that consistent at times. But they will have cap space this summer if a lot of these guys walk Chris to go out there and make some strong additions to this team. They're not going to just blow it up this summer. They're going to, if they don't make the playoffs and it's looking like a distinct possibility right now, they're going to go out this summer and try to get right back on track and send this team to the playoffs next season. Because, you know, missing the playoffs with this core and having have them playing at this level, it's not an option. So I guess right now I'm really looking at it is Zucker in terms of, a big change you know it really stinks because they don't have a lot of tradable assets on the team that's the more and most unfortunate thing i don't think they want to do futures i saw this morning um that they were looking at jacob trickman excuse me and that's why i do a whole uh i guess how rob was framing a little turmoil inside the penguins locker room with sullivan and hextall disagreeing but you know it's it's gonna be interesting to say the least i don't think any of the big core players are going anywhere this summer, you brought those guys back. They're going to stay. But it's obvious, Chris, that you got to change up the supporting cast in a big way. Um, yeah. This I, team wants to do anything. Um, either this season, probably not. You probably should punt this season. But especially next season, 
and beyond. You got to get back to the depth that we saw in 2016-17. And honestly, even after that, when they had, you know, Brandon Tanev, Evan Rodriguez, Jared McCann down, players like that in your bottom six that can really help out the stars when you know they're going through some slumps. I had somebody, you bring up the Rob Rossi report that was in the athletic on Friday morning. Um, I had somebody push back on that to me just a little bit okay. saying that there isn't necessarily a rift between Mike Sullivan and Ron Hextall. But I think when you look at the way Mike Sullivan has answered questions for the last few weeks, it's hard not to see a difference of opinion mm-hmm. between how these two are viewing what they have. When, when Mike Sullivan Thursday night after the Oilers loss says our roster is our roster. I mean, that is, is in and of itself passive aggressively saying, what the hell do you want me to do with what I got here? I, yeah. I, I, I can't do anything with this bunch, at least not the bottom six. Now he did backpedal just a little bit later and say, well, I believe the answers are in the room, but I, I think that's that's trying to toe a line so that you don't get called on the carpet by your boss necessarily. Um, he's ha- he's had other comments earlier in the year about the third line in particular that make you wonder: uh, Is he necessarily happy with what he's putting out there? Is he the one who's putting that lineup out there, or is he being told, "No, these guys have got to play. No, these guys have got to get this number of minutes." Um, that would be wildly micromanaging uh, by Ron Hextall. But again, when you're a GM who sees that his decisions aren't necessarily working out, is it a crazy thought that you might be dipping your toes into that end of the pool? Uh, Before I let you run and go enjoy the weekend, although who knows how much we're going to enjoy it with a pair of back, you know, St. Louis and then a back-to-back against Tampa. We know how back-to-backs go for this team, Hunter. Um, I'll put it to you. Uh, I asked Eric Tangrady earlier. I gave my prediction. I think they will miss the playoffs. I do. Uh, Tango said he thinks they make it just because Sidney Crosby will throw the team on his back if he has to and drag them kicking and screaming into the playoffs. Um, I'm curious what your thought is. Does this team make the playoffs, and how does it affect them going into the offseason? I mean, if you would ask me this two weeks ago, I'd say they make it. Mm-hmm. right now i think they're despite the games in hand those i haven't mean crap right now because they keep losing all of them right i honestly think they're gonna miss and <clears throat> i'm usually again a very optimistic person i don't subscribe to a lot of the negativity that some people in this fan base view around but right now with how this team is playing and if they don't really do anything at the deadline if they sell off some assets even chris or even if they bring in someone i don't really know how much that's going to affect um things with just how bad this team is um, I think they miss. And once that happens, you're going to see a new front office coming. There's no chance Brian Burke and Ron Hextall will be in this front office if they miss the playoffs. That's unacceptable. They should have won that round against the Rangers last year if it wasn't for Louis Domingue with the goaltending. But, you know, this is a step backwards. You committed to bringing the quarterback. You made moves to try and help them. They haven't worked out. Heck, Kasperi Kappen was just placed on waivers not even a year after you signed him to that ridiculous contract when no, you had no reason to because he wasn't good last year. That's just one of several moves that Hextall has really screwed up during his last year and a half, two years here. So how that affects them again, I think you see new management staff come in here that hopefully knows what it's doing, Chris, and, you know, knows how to build a winner and, and all that good stuff. You know, again, the Fenway sports group, they usually go for the best of the best when it comes to who they want to manage their teams. And I think you're going to see that here in a big way this summer when they likely miss the playoffs. Though I will say, I won't be surprised if they get in because if Sid and Gino and look to Latang do a Houdini act and get them in, 
I don't think anyone would be surprised, but I just don't see. No, it right you're right. It, it wouldn't be surprising at all to see them sneak in. It w- the only thing that would shock me at this point would be if they somehow win on some sort of run in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only unexpected thing at this point. Uh, check out Locked On Penguins. Check out at Hunter Hodes on Twitter. That's where you'll get Hunter. And certainly he's got the Locked On Penguins podcast for you a couple times a week. Look, we're all friends in the podcast space. You don't have to listen to just one. You can listen to all of us. And that's what we're doing here. A little Penguins podcast crossover. I'll be happy to hop on to Locked On Penguins whenever you can make the time, Hunter. Thanks for making the time for Fifth Avenue Faceoff and all of our listeners as well. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Thanks again to Hunter Hodes of Locked On Penguins, Eric Tangrady, former Pittsburgh Penguin himself, both for joining me today on a Friday edition, Friday, February 24th edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. We will do it again on Monday. We will have two games between now and then. The question is, what else will we have to talk about? As I mentioned earlier, this is being recorded between 2 and 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Ron Hextall getting ready to speak literally momentarily as I'm recording this. Uh, You will have heard what he had to say, most likely, before you hear what I have had to say. Consider that when we consider what may be coming down the line. Is it uh, a complete and total retool around the core three going into the offseason? Is it Ron Hextall and Brian Burke still insisting on buying at the trade deadline? I can't believe they do that at this point, right? Is it an insistence on standing pat and effectively punting on this season? That could be the case, even despite the news an hour or so ago that Kasperi Kapanen was waived. Who knows? Maybe Kapanen clears and goes to Wilkesbury. It wouldn't be the craziest thing, given the way he's played this year. Uh, whatever happens, uh, it's going to be something to watch the transition for this organization from team in its prime to team going over the hill. And some people will tell you they've been seeing that coming for years. Maybe some of us were naive to it. Either way, they are firmly on the back end of things now. And if they really want to take one more legitimate run at the cup with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, they're going to have to have somebody else in place besides Ron Hextall. So who knows? Maybe Ron Hextall speaking uh, this afternoon is one of the last few times you get to hear from him. If he's still in place come summertime, I don't know how confident I will feel, you will feel, or anybody will feel about what, again, needs to be a soft rebuild, a retooling of sorts um, around Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. Again, nothing would surprise us at this point, I think, short of this team going on a run. And that's the most disappointing part is that it always felt we were trending towards optimism with this group. And for the first time in 17 years, we're trending towards pessimism. And that makes you wonder if Ron Hextall has done things right. I don't think he has. Brian Burke has done things right. Where has he been lately anyway? If ownership has done things right. We don't even know who's necessarily calling the shots in ownership. So a summer of transition after this season wraps up. And that's the thing. We still got how many games left? (laughs) Counting St. Louis and Tampa, this team still has, yeah, 25 games left on the season. 
So who knows what's left in the season, let alone once the season ends, I can tell you where to come for all the latest right here. Fifth Avenue Faceoff on your Odyssey app. We'll talk again on Monday.